And this week I want us to look at this beautiful word called assurance. You know, the story that we're about to read, the scripture that we are about to read, teaches us that some are called by God the very first hour when they are children, like Samuel, and perhaps maybe like some of you here today. Others are called by the Lord when they are young men or women, perhaps like the apostle John or even Mark. Some are called by the Lord in middle age, maybe like the apostle Paul, and some are called by God later in life, maybe by, by like Simeon. But some are called not only at the 11th hour, but they are called in the final minute of the 11th hour. And the next scripture that we're going to read is one of those. It is a dying thief. He was saved at the last minute. And in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 39, and we're going to read through verse 43, it says this. So you can turn with me in your Bibles or it's going to be back on the screen. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus hurled insults at Jesus. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man has not done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you. And there's that word of assurance. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. You know, this is the only one deathbed conversion, so to speak, that we can find the scripture. Only one that we may not despair and lose hope, but also only one that we may not presume to leave repentance upon the last minute. This passage is relevant to all of us because what you have here is a day which will come to us all. This is the sinner's last day on earth. When we consider this passage, we must not forget that there was another thief hanging there on the background who heard the exact same thing that the safe thief heard. He also heard the same discourse as the other thief heard, yet he made no application to Christ. When he said, save us and yourself, he didn't mean save his soul. Rather, he meant, if you are who you are, then show me, which kind of sounds like some of today's Christians Show me then I'll believe. Show me, God, that you are with me. Show me and bless me, and then I know who you are. This thief, this other thief, had purely selfish intent. So today, as we read the scriptures, we can say like Paul did in Galatians 3.1, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, the gospel is to us a visible word. It is a word picture. The crucifixion is so real to me. That every time I look at that video that we saw at the beginning, or every single time that I start to think about what Jesus did for us in the cross, I can't help but choke up. I mean, why did he have to endure so much pain? Why did it have to be so hard? Did he have to be that way? You see, he could have called it off at any time. He didn't have to go through what he was put through. But it occurs to me that he was still setting the example for us Christians. When we go through trials and tribulations, none of them nearly as bad as hanging on the cross. We have his example of not to give up. If he endured what he endured here on earth, maybe we can endure our trials for his name's sake. So I would ask you that you would consider today which one of these thieves you identify more with. You see, whenever we are young, we think that we're going to live forever, don't we? 
You know, I know I did. You know, I, I was reckless. I, I did some stunts. I probably even cheating death at times. Never even considering that any, at any moment, it could have been my last. So I want to tell you from personal experience that they make caskets in all sizes. Not too many years ago, I had a nephew, five years old, who died in a car accident who had a small casket. So I know they make them in all sizes. And most of us won't be like Hezekiah. God told Hezekiah that to put his house in order, that he was going to die because he wasn't going to make it. None of us are really going to have that luxury. For most of us, it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. And if you're like my wife and I, our desire is that we would be cute and we would be in bed holding hands and we would fall asleep and then we would wake up in heaven. I know all of you guys have that too. We're not the same ones there. You know, the first thief sounded bitter to me, don't you think? He's like, get us out of here. Show me something. Don't just hang there, Jesus. Do something. You guys ever feel like that? You guys ever feel, you know, feel like that Jesus is not doing something in your life? It's like, Jesus, where are you? I'm dying here. All these things are happening to me. All these trials, all these tribulations. Where are you? Don't just leave me hanging. The other one, who was also just as bad and convicted as the first man, rebuked his friend. He says, don't forget that these guys were kind of in a gang with Barabbas. You know, Barabbas was supposed to be taking the place of Jesus right in the middle. Yet these thieves were upset that Barabbas wasn't there. So they're there taking it out on Jesus. Jesus was in his place. So they were mad at him too. And it's funny to me how when people get in trouble, the human part of us wants to make to take as many people down with us as possible. And I think it somehow eases our guilt that if we can put a lot of people through it, it would be a lot better for us. But this thief said, don't you even fear the Lord? Let me tell you, folks, I love God. And I know all of you guys are here because you love God as well. But I also fear God. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you right now that I am scared to death of not being a Christian. And I used to think that it was wrong to get to people to come to Christ by having fear. But let me tell you, I think we should all be scared. We should all be very, very scared because there is indeed a day of judgment that is coming for every single one of us. Some may be sooner than later, but we just don't know. You see, most everybody knows that we will be held accountable for what we do and we will be judged accordingly. And the question is, are we all ready to receive our rewards for our deeds, whatever those deeds may be? I mean, that's some pretty hard stuff to think about this morning. Are you ready to receive the reward for your gifts, for your deeds? Only you and God know what your deeds are worth. So I would encourage you that you make sure that they are worthy of the kind of reward that you want. Friends, the story of the thief on the cross is an extremely important text in the Bible. One of the most important texts that you can ever study because it tells us the how, it tells us the when, the where, and the why of salvation. It tells you how you can be certain, how you can have an assurance that you're going to go to heaven when you die. It tells us what I must know in order to be saved. I know there are a lot of things that you can know, but there are some things in life that you must know. There's a lot of good things that you can know about the Bible. There's a lot of beautiful promises. There's a lot of instruction for our life. But there's some things that you must know. Things that are essential and necessary and vital. Two guys, 
two different responses. The first guy insults Jesus, and the word there in the Greek is the word blasphemo, which is where we get the word blasphemy. It means to demean, to put down. So the first guy blasphemies Jesus. The second guy turns to Jesus. And catch this. He is no theologian. He's lived a whole life of crime. He knows nothing about religion or, or the Bible or the word. But he knew one thing. He knew enough of how to be saved. And I think there are five things that we can learn this morning from the thief that we also must know too in order to have that assurance of heaven. So the first thing this guy knew is he knew that he would face God after death. When the first criminal starts insulting Jesus, the second man rebukes him. And in verse 40, he says this, Don't you fear God even when you are dying? Don't you realize the seriousness of the situation that you are in? You are a few seconds from eternity. You are dying on the cross, and in just a split second, you're going to be face to face with God. And I think the reason why many people treat God so casually, why they go through life ignoring God, is because most people have in the back of their minds that when you're dead, that that's the end, that you're dead. We have a hard time believing or you know, wrapping our hands around the fact that we live this life here and we do the best that we can and we attain all these things and when we die, we die. But we're all here because we believe differently. This is one of the biggest mistakes that we can make because death, we all know, is not the end. Listen, you're only going to get about an average of 80 years. I know that women live longer than men, but the average of all of our years here on earth is going to be 80 years. But we're going to spend trillions upon trillions of years in eternity. We were all made to last forever, and you're going to live for eternity somewhere. You're either going to be live eternity with God, or you're going to live in eternity separated from God. So to make a fatal mistake and say, when you die, you die, so just live it up and do whatever I feel like doing. Well, I don't know about you guys, but eternity is a long time to be wrong. This guy knew that he was going to face God. One day, you're going to be face to face with God and we're all going to give an account to, of our lives to God. So you can ignore God for the rest of their lives, but then you can't ignore Him anymore. You can run from God your entire life, but then you can't run from Him anymore. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, Everyone must die once, and after that be judged by God. Folks, that's one appointment I'm not going to be late for. One appointment that you're not going to be late for. And some of you know that I like statistics, and I was looking at the latest statistics, and it's still true that in America, the mortality rate is still 100%. Do you guys know that? The fact is that you're going to die. And I know we don't like to talk about it, but that's the reality of, of our lives. And the question is, why would we keep putting off settling the issue when I know that it could be tomorrow, it could be in 50 years, or it could be next week? To me, I think it's irrational and it's illogical to go through life unprepared for death because it is the only thing that you can be sure of in life. Ben Franklin said that there are two things that you could be sure of, and you guys know what those are, death and taxes. Well, I'm here to tell you that the only thing you could be sure of is death. You don't have to pay your taxes. It'll catch up to you, but you don't have to pay them. So the second thing that Steve knew is that he knew that he had sinned against God. And we know that because in verse 41, he confesses it. He says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. 
He's talking to the other guy who's also hanging on the cross, the other criminal. He says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. He's not hiding it. He's not making excuses. He is just confessing it. And here's what the Bible says about confessions in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. God says, you do your part and I'll do mine. You do the confessing and I'll do the forgiving. The Bible says that you just need to own up to the fact that you're not perfect, that you've made mistakes, that there are times that you've done what you've wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do. There are times that you've loved other things more than you loved God. You know, the interesting part is that the Bible doesn't tell us all the sins that this thief had committed, all that he had done wrong. But it really doesn't matter because in James chapter 2 verse 10, it says that you only have to break the law once to be a lawbreaker. You know, some people go around thinking that I'm going to get into heaven because I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as the next guy. But let me tell you that that's wrong. That's irrelevant. You only have to break the law once to be a lawbreaker. You only have to commit one crime to be a criminal. And you only have to commit one sin to be a sinner. I mean, how many women did Tiger Woods have to sleep with before he was called unfaithful? Just one. It's not a matter of intensity. It's not a matter of you have more sins than I do or I have more sins than you. Heaven is the perfect place. And if God let imperfect people into heaven, then it wouldn't be heaven anymore. It would be, well, it would be earth. You know, a lot of people think that God graves on a curve and, and they say, you know, I'm not back if you see, look at this guy. So let's just pretend for the sake of this message, let's just pretend for a second that God does have a scale, which he doesn't, okay? So I don't want to get any cards saying you were wrong in that. He doesn't have a grading scale, but let's pretend that he does. And let's say that it's at zero, it's from zero to a hundred and zero is your incarnate evil and a hundred you are perfection. So let's just rate some people. Let's take Hitler, for example. We all know that Hitler was incarnate evil. So let's give him a zero. We all agree with that. Now let's take Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa gave her life helping the poor. So let's give Mother Teresa, she did great, so let's give her a 90, maybe 85. I don't know how hard you rate, but I, I want to be generous. So I'm going to give her a 90 because she wasn't perfect. She still had sins and faults and maybe lust, anger. Maybe she even lost her temper once in a while. She's not perfect, so for me, she gets a 90. So now let's take me. Let's rate me for a second. Let's rate Carlos. It's not 99. I know you guys are thinking that. <laughs> but just so nobody disagrees, I'm going to give myself a 15. Okay, but I'm going to throw that back at you now. Rate yourself. Where are you in that scale? Is anyone at 100? The point that I'm trying to make here is that nobody is perfect. Nobody measures up, and heaven is a perfect place. I don't stand the snowball's chance in hell of getting into heaven because I am better than Hitler. I just don't measure up to God's perfection. The Bible says that we have all fallen short. This guy knew that he had sinned against God. And notice he says, we deserve to die. And in Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death, which is the bad news. But the good news is that it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice the contrast between the two words, wages and gifts. Wages are earned by your actions, but gifts are undeserved. If I was your employer and I came to you at the end of the month with your paycheck and I said, I have a little gift for you, you guys would be, wait a minute, buddy. That's no gift. I earned that paycheck. It's my wages. So wages are different than a gift. 
We have earned the penalty for our sins. God is a just God. He says, you do something wrong and somebody has to pay for it. Fortunately, Jesus said, I'll do it. So number one, this guy knew that he'd face God after death. Number two, he knew he had sinned against God. So this guy's taking it seriously. And number three, he knew Jesus was more than a man. He says to the other criminals, we deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has not done anything wrong. And notice on that phrase, this man has not done anything wrong. He doesn't say this man hasn't done as much bad stuff as as we have. He doesn't say we've done more bad stuff than this guy. He doesn't say this guy's good works are much better than his bad works. No, he says this guy has done nothing wrong ever. The word in Greek that they use here means that this guy has done nothing wrong ever. It means not a zippo, zero, nilch, nothing, not in your lifetime, not in a million years, not today, not tomorrow. It's not going to happen, not at all. So the question is, have you guys ever met someone in your life that you can say that about? Can you think of anybody in your life that you can say this person or this woman or this man has never done anything wrong ever? Well, we all know the answer to that. The answer is no. So this thief recognizes that Jesus has got to be more than a man. He's not one of us. He is not human. He is much more than a man. The fourth thing this guy knew is that he knew that only grace could save him. And in verse 42, he says three simple but beautiful words. He says, Jesus, remember me. He knows only grace can save him. He knows that he can't do anything to save himself. He can't come down from the cross to atone for his sins. He can't do a bunch of charity work to make up for all the evil things that he had done. There's nothing that he can do. It is completely out of his control at that point. Yet he doesn't compare himself to Jesus and says, by the way, Jesus, you know, I know some people that are much worse than I am. He doesn't make excuses for his sin. He doesn't say, you know, I've had a bad childhood growing up or this and that happened to me when I was growing up. My parents didn't do a good job raising me. He doesn't blame his parents. He doesn't make excuses or or, or makes blame. He doesn't try to bargain. He doesn't try to buy his way out. He simply says, Jesus, remember me. He throws himself on the grace of God and says two simple words, remember me. And I've always wrestled with it. I'm like, is that it? This whole life we can be Christians and then this guy comes along at the last minute and says, that's it? Is is that all it takes? That has to be the shortest salvation prayer I've ever heard. And listen, there are many people, well-intentioned people, Christians, but they have a belief that that you have to say certain words in order to be saved. That you have to recite a certain kind of prayer. That you have to mention certain key words. And you have a formula. And that you have to recite this ritual. And if you don't do that and use the right theological terms, then the prayer doesn't count and you can't get into heaven. Well, this scripture tells us that that's wrong, doesn't it? This guy just says, remember me. He doesn't use any theological terms. He doesn't say appropriation. He doesn't say atonement. He doesn't say justification. He doesn't say redemption. For that matter, he never, you know, mentions any of the words, I confess, I believe, I repent, I trust, or I receive. He just says, Jesus, remember me. But then what Jesus says is amazing. He just says, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's the point. It's not the words that matter. It is the direction of your heart. It is the direction of our hearts. 
Remember me may not be an acceptable prayer for some theologians, but it was good enough for Jesus. If Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, it doesn't matter what anybody says. Jesus said, good enough. I got it. You're in. Remember me. So let's not complicate the gospel by taking on other things. You must do this and you must do that. No. All you have to say is yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. In other words, even your faith is a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. You can't work your way into heaven. It's all grace. So grace is something for nothing. You don't earn it. It's just an undeserved gift. And there's one more thing that this thief knew. He knew that Jesus could save him if he asked. He knew that Jesus would give him grace if he asked. And this is what he prayed. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Obviously, he believes that Jesus is God at this point. Jesus is no mere poser or imposter. He's no mere man. He says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, he recognized that he had a kingdom. Remember me, he says. What's interesting, what an interesting thing to me about the scripture is that what he asked for, I know that if I had been hanging on the cross and I knew all the miracles at this point, everyone knew what Jesus had done. They knew all of the miracles. They knew that he had healed the sick. So if I'm standing there, I'm going to ask, you know, get me down from here. Take away my pain. Do something immediate for my immediate thing. But that's not what this guy knows. That's not what he, what he says. Because we know that Jesus could have snapped his fingers And then we would all be off the cross, or they would all be off the cross. But Jesus is there because he is in control. The Romans are not in control. They were not in control. He was willingly hanging on the cross. They said to him, why don't you come down and save yourselves? Which is an interesting question. But the reason why Jesus Jesus didn't come down and save himself is because he wasn't there to save himself. He came to save us. He came to save me. And he came to save you. So he was going to come down from the cross. He's hanging there by his own choice. But this criminal doesn't say, Jesus, stop my pain. Because he knew that his deepest need was salvation from sin. Not just salvation into heaven, but salvation from sin. He believed in Jesus. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. So how do we know for sure that we are saved? How do we know that we're going to go to heaven when we die? What is our assurance? How can we be certain? How can we eliminate without a shadow of a doubt in our mindset where our assurance lies? You see, my assurance of salvation is not by works because we know that we can't earn our salvation. My assurance of salvation is not by my feelings because feelings come and go. Sometimes I feel like a Christian and sometimes I don't. Feelings come and go, so you never base your confidence in your feelings. My assurance of salvation is the promise of God's word. If God says it, that settles it, because God cannot lie. It is a promise of God's word. And then he says these beautiful words. Jesus says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And there are four things that we can learn about salvation, that we can learn about assurance from those words. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. The first one is that today means salvation is immediate. 
The moment you ask Jesus Christ to save you, bam, there it is. Right there and then. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say, let me think about it. Why don't you spend a month in purgatory? Which, by the way, purgatory is nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's not a biblical doctrine. But if anybody deserved to go to a place in limbo, it was this guy who spent an entire life of doing crimes. But Jesus didn't say, you're going to purgatory for 30 days. He said, today, immediately, today you will be with me in paradise. Not in a month or not in six months. There's no such thing. You either go straight into the presence of God when you die, or you go straight into separation from God. And you guys want to know what that's called? That's called hell. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is instant. It is immediate. Two, salvation is certain. He says, today you will. Not you might, not I hope, not let me think about it. He says that it is a certainty. You will. When God says you will, that means that you will. It's immediate salvation. When I I accept Christ, it is certain that I will. Three, it is a relationship. He said, you will be with me. You can't be with him and not be in a relationship with him. Salvation, folks, is not a religion. It is not rules or regulation. It is not rituals. Salvation boils down to relationship. That relationship and doesn't begin when you get into heaven. It begins here on earth. Folks, I know that we're here because Jesus Christ is our best friend. He's been my best friend for over 20 years, and my wife is my best friend too, but Jesus is my best, best friend. Sorry, honey. You're still my best friend, but you know what I mean. I know, and I talk to God as much as I can. And with time, I understand when he's talking to me, I can discern the difference between my thoughts and what God is saying to me. It is a process. And you get better at it as you go on in your relationship with Christ. You distinguish between what you are thinking and what God says to you. But that cannot happen unless you're in a relationship with him. Just like you're in a relationship with any other of your friends. You can't know about them and know what they really mean to tell you unless you get into a relationship with your friends as well. The whole reason God made you is that he wanted to be in relationship with you. The fourth thing is that it's, it is forever. Today, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And paradise is a real place and it is forever. So in closing, I want to remind you that there were two criminals being crucified with Jesus. Both on either side. He gave them the choice, just like we have the choice. He's not going to force you to love him. He's not going to force you to accept him or to trust him. He's not going to force you to accept heaven. And there are only two responses that you can have. One of the guys on the cross rejected Jesus, even insulting him. But the other guy turned to him. You may choose not to decide today, but not to decide is to decide. When you know the truth, of what the word of, the, of God says, then not to decide is to decide. And I think our natural response after hearing this message today, it can only lead us to that one conclusion that we have to make that choice too. So if you are here today and you haven't accepted Christ yet, then today is your day. You've, if you have already accepted Christ into your heart, then your natural response is to acknowledge your relationship with Christ and to live a life that is worthy of being called a Christian or being a Christ follower. 
Your response is to learn from these both of these criminals hanging there next to Jesus and decide for yourself where you are going to put your assurance today. Your assurance of salvation, if you are a believer, is the promise of God's word. If God says it, then it settles it. And because of that assurance, the beautiful thing about it, because of that same simple scripture that gives us that assurance, because of that assurance that we can have assurance of all of other God's promises for our lives. So if you're here today and you are tired and weary from your week, if you're tired and weary from your month or your year or what the life has brought on to you, you can have the assurance that God tells us that if you are weary and burdened, that he will give you rest. So I want you to take that assurance and take it home with you. If you are here today and you feel all alone and you've had some bad things happen to you along the way and you feel all alone, I want you to have the assurance that God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So take that assurance home with you. If you are here today and you're having problems with your kids, and I want you to take the assurance home with you that says that if you train up a child in the way that he should go, that he will never depart from it. That is a promise found in God's word. So stick to the discipline, stick to the plan, because God is faithful. If you are here today and you feel like maybe you're in limbo and that you have no plan for your life, you're young, you're in college, out of college, whatever it may be, and you don't know what's next for you, I want you to take the assurance home with you that God says in his word that he has a plan for you. It is a perfect plan, a plan to prosper you, and not to harm you. What beautiful words this morning. Take that assurance with you. If you are are here today and, and, and you're having problems with your father and your mother and your relationship with him, take the assurance with you that God says that if you honor your father and your mother, then it'll all go well for you. We have the assurance that if we give to God's work, that he will open up the floodgates of heaven and just give you blessing after blessing. As a believer, I am thankful for this verse because it gives me the assurance of all of his promises that we can all claim to in the name of Jesus, and he says that he will provide it. What a beautiful thing, what a comfort, what an encouragement for you guys to walk out of these doors and just claim to all of his promises in the name of Jesus. We have that blessed assurance that Jesus is ours that Jesus is mine. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are here before you, Lord, thanking you for your word, Father, for we know that it speaks truth into our lives, Father, and it just, it's alive, Father, so we ask that we would apply it into our lives, Lord. Father, I also know that there's got to be some people here that you are tugging at their heart to receive you for the first time. Lord, so my prayer right now is that, that you would continue to speak to them this morning. And if you're here right now with your heads bowed, I just want to ask you to say a simple prayer if you haven't accepted Christ into your heart or if you want to recommit your life to Christ this morning. And the prayer goes like this and just repeat it in your heart. Father, I believe like that thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me. May the Lord bless your efforts this morning. Father, we believe that you will... Keep your promises of insurances that we can find in your word, Father. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we claim to those promises that you know the needs of your people sitting here today, Lord. And again, I ask that as they claim to you in those promises, 
Father, that you would answer their prayer and that you would bless them. Father, they may walk out of these doors with that blessed assurance that you are by their side and that you are their Lord and that you will answer them. Lord, we dedicate this service to you and it is in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.